Hi. It's been a little while. In the time I've been away, I've realized that I don't need to say welcome to Processed because um, you already know <laughs> what you're listening to. Uh, this is a long one, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to make this short. Today I'm talking to Gemini I, London-based, uh, I mean, musician, painter, illustrator, uh, I mean, very creative person, and we've been friends for quite a while. They have a new record out as of February 21st called Murdered Ark Remains. You can listen to it on any streaming platform, uh, and you can buy it at the Gemini Eye Bandcamp. So there's a lot of things for which context is not provided, but I think you'll get it through the vibes, you know, so. So let's just jump into it.
little clap and so you can sync it. Okay. Wait, so I don't have the clap. Should we clap at the same time? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. You you count One. it off. Okay. Off to three. Okay. One, two, three. Close enough. Okay, cool. That's nice. Well, no, it's good because if you sync up the claps, it'll erase, it'll counter for the lag in this. Oh, that's a good idea. I've never, I've never done it that way before. I've always just, um, yeah, I, you could call it lo-fi or you could call it, um, <laughs> unknowledgeable of, uh, audio <laughs> engineering. <laughs> um, it's a, it's a, it's a neat trick. Okay. So I used to do a lot of these kind of podcasts like about, well, not, I don't know if, were they, were they podcasts? I've definitely done this a number of times before I've had to like record audio at this end and, what, what are you what are you referring to like the nine tails like stuff? that wasn't like this n- no no like way back in the day when i was making youtube videos and yeah doing, like podcasts with people and stuff that was yeah i'd have to do this but i haven't done one since it's my first podcast in a long time i don't know Whoa. maybe they're all different now <laughs> oh, i don't know but i'm i'm really glad to to have a chance to talk with you like this i remember yeah vaguely, it's nice to catch up I remember vaguely what you're talking about. Like, I remember you playing some song with, you had all your instruments set up, you were improvising a song about um, someone who is allergic to sunlight. Hey, yeah, <laughs> on like the blog TV days. There's, yeah. the, that, there's a YouTube video of that somewhere. So yeah. It's still around, I think, if you search for it. Allergic to the sun, because there was somebody in the chat. I was like, I had like a delay pedal and like a loop pedal and a keyboard and, and instruments and stuff and all my little instruments. It was and good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had a little mixing desk. It was good fun. <laughs> and yeah, this person came into the group and they were they um they had a, a sun allergy they like had to stay inside because they were um alert if they went outside they would they, well, they, they had an allergy to the sun or something similar to that it sounds fantastical when i say it out loud like that but i think they had yeah they definitely had a condition where they couldn't spend too long in direct sunlight yeah and so they said make a song about me and so i did i made a song about this person who's allergic to the sun that was good fun those are good times yeah, yeah, I miss your uh, sort of like comedic side because you're, you're a naturally well, yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. funny person. Like in in your thank media. you. Yeah, that's sweet of you to say. I I I like being funny, and I I think I think of humor as being very important to what I do. So I'm actually like very interested in anybody who works at the juncture between uh, comedy and art. I think that's a really important place to be. And there are a lot of people like people like Dan Deacon. Yeah. And uh, the whole like Wham City crew that's associated with him. So people like uh, Alan Resnick uh, and like the other Wham City people um, who do this stuff. And like, so, like there's an Adult Swim crossover. So like a lot of the people who are involved in Adult Swim are very into comedy and music, which is funny because in music you get a lot of people who are into comedy. But in comedy, it's always like if you run a comedy show, it's always like it's like anathemic to do comedy and music it's like a thing that you shouldn't do and i don't yeah. really know why but i'm I, yeah i'm really interested in that that area of things i think because it can be like done at such a low level like that the sort of the average comedic musician is it's usually not funny and not a good musician yeah yes yeah, so true and then the, like musically it's uh basic 
it's like perfunctory and the comedy is uh also usually perfunctory yeah it's like it doesn't it's funny because it's bit clever because it's attached to the song you can get away with so much in a comedy song people will laugh because the cadence of it tells them to laugh regardless of whether or not the thing was actually funny I think that Bo Burnham is doing a good job of like exploring that space I don't know if you're very familiar with him Um, like the best job yeah oh Bo Burnham's amazing especially his new stuff where it's like choreographed and everything like it's yes, so good. I mean, he's a he, he is visionary in a lot of ways, and the way that he puts his shows together. I mean, yeah, I don't know who he has working on on those with him, but he's very smart uh, about how he goes about his the the showmanship of it. It's very clever and very funny. Are you- the way that he uses the um, I- instruments of the stage, like the 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 equipment of a stage performance to make jokes as well like the way that that's all incorporated into the jokes it's very yeah very high level stuff yeah he's great i i I aspire to i'm inspired by um yeah the way bobonum uses a stage and uses the mechanisms of a stage and yeah like the lighting and the everything like that i think that's really cool that's something i'm very interested in you told me like a couple months ago or weeks ago or something a little while ago that you were trying to sort of incorporate comedy and music in some sort of live performance setting? Are yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have that? these live shows. So I have a group called Nine Tales Collective. Yes. And I was just these listening live shows. to some of your podcasts right before this. Oh, yeah? Cool. Um, the, uh, so we did, a, we did a podcast, which is funny and weird and kind of arty. Uh, and I like to think sort of beautiful in places. Yeah. And that's all stuff that we, we've written that we wrote and uh, so the three of us, me uh, and my friends Anna and Alex, uh, we got together and we recorded 10 episodes of that, uh, like 10 minute, 10 to 15 minute episodes. And um, yeah, those were really fun. Uh, and I, it was a really good platform for us, but we also did a live show. This is, I mean, this is kind of my, I'm kind of masterminding these projects because I have this vision of something that I want to achieve and I I used to run a podcast called the Hexacordal podcast as well really? back in the day yeah which is not online anymore I, I don't know if I, I think I have like a couple episodes floating around but that was also like when I was at university and stuff I was making little bits of music and I wanted to gather them together in these and I, I hacked together these like 15 minute podcasts again it's a, it's been something that's been lurking in my head for a long time these kinds of weird kind of mixes of things all thrown together um, into one into one t- continuous piece of audio. Yeah, uh, and I, I want to do a live show like it as well. So I've oh, that would be so it. good. It'd be so good, right? Like a version of the podcast. It would be really interesting. I think. Yeah, because a lot of live shows. I think the bit that always bugs me about live shows is the. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And let's see who we've got next. Uh, right. Uh, let's have a look here on the li- like all the like. It's like I want to have it orchestrated fully. So everyone who goes up, it's like all sequenced. Um, and I've been talking to some people. I've been talking to a guy called John McCurley, who's in an art group called Life of a Craphead. And these guys, they're linked back to uh, Dan Deacon. And, uh, well, not really Dan Deacon, Alan Resnick, though, definitely. You know Alan Resnick when I say Alan Resnick? No. He did a thing called um, uh, um, This Room Has People In It. 
and uh, like for Adult Swim, and he did uh, May I Please Enter, and he did uh, Live Forever As You Are Now with Alan Resnick. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not <laughs> um, familiar A lot of really cool... Of oh, you got to check it out. He's great. He's so interesting, and he has a very... So he's an excellent performer, uh, really subtle, subtle performer, subtle writer, uh, with a vision that's unlike anything I've seen before. And, uh, yeah... He did a he did a thing called May I Please Enter with these two guys, uh, John McCurley and Amy Lamb, who are an art group called Life of a Craphead, and I've been um, I, I they did a, a a performance night called Dored. They ran I think it ran for like twenty uh, shows, and they ran that in Toronto where they live, and that was that was them. They would hold rehearsals for it before doing it, um, but they got. They got funding because they're in Canada, and Canada funds the arts, right? So they got they could they could pay people. So we're looking for a way to do it in London that is not unfair on the artists. It gets people, you know, paid. There are a few things in this town that are doing that. Like there's a there's a um, a night um, called Troy Club, which is like an experimental comedy night, um, and that happens once a month. And there's like an affiliated, or there was at least until Andrew moved away, but Andrew O'Neill who curates and, and, and runs Troy Club um, uh, is uh, sorry well he uh, it's Leslie um, oh Leslie Ewing Burgess so Leslie Ewing Burgess is a really cool comedian who runs this night called Troy Club with Andrew O'Neill and they also do or, or did until recently a night uh, at a, a pub called The Unicorn around the corner called Dead Leg, where anyone could get up and do anything. Okay. So every week, you only had to send an email, but that was literally the barrier to entry, was send an email and you're on, right? You're on the list. Mm -hmm. So every week that would happen, and you get hits and misses, you get random people who'd never done stand-up before trying it out, uh, and you get people who are pretty good, who were coming back because the atmosphere was good, uh, and because you could do anything, there were no limits on what you could do. So from that, it seemed like they were kind of using that as an incubator through which to acquire good act, good quality acts for their paid night at Troy Club every month. That seems like a really interesting way to do it, to kind of get people involved, because you can't do it on your own. This is the thing I'm learning more and more as I, as I work more on this kind of thing. Is you cannot go alone. With music, with like my recorded output, it's different, because I, I can. Yeah. I, I can just sort of sit at a computer... Yeah, I mean, that's kind of been, like, a defining factor of your art for a long time, is that it's, like, completely your output, you know? Well, I have a vision of what I want it to be, and it's very singular, and it kind of manifests in that way. I, I, I love being in bands, and I love playing with other people. I love collaborating with other artists. Uh, I don't like doing remixes so much, but I enjoy it. Uh, and, I, I, yeah, I just love bouncing off other people I love improvising with people I don't do it enough uh, but yeah the, yeah, I have always had this one kind of solo practice but of course when you're doing it on your own you can there's a there's an African proverb which I think about a lot which is if you want to go I feel like I heard someone say it out loud but it might have been in a dream <laughs> it was um, like just the other day if you want to go far st if you want to go fast, go by yourself. <laughs> if you want to go far, go with others. Yeah, yeah, okay. 
That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, got there eventually. I, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> when I was talking to Brian Poole the other day from up Montreal, he was talking about um, Kevin Bard's writing process, and he said that um, that Brian himself, he wasn't super involved in compositions for any of the albums because Kevin right. sort of, um, he didn't really need a, a band except for the live performances, so... Yeah, um, yeah, that's how I'm feeling. That's how I feel with my work at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, that gives it sort of a... Like, I was talking to, to somebody about this kind of general idea a while ago, and I was saying how, like, um, it's sort of like... If someone makes something all straight from their own mind like with their own hands and ability it's like a a painting like to me something's like way more impressive and beautiful if it's like just your own vision that's been like completely formed by one person like a masterpiece of a painting or a sculpture or something whereas like ariana grande or someone you know, she can be like a good singer, and then there's a hundred people who have created this song. So yeah, it sounds yeah, yeah, yeah. nice. Well, this gets to this gets to an interesting question or an interesting topic for discussion, which is how much of what we like about the music that we listen to or any of the art that we consume is about the art itself, and how much of it is about the story that we have or the narrative surrounding the creation of the art. I think I went to see Dan Deacon live last night. Oh, cool! At Scala, and yeah, it was great. But I think a big part of what makes his live shows so good is that it's this, like, you know, balding guy up on stage, like this average-looking guy who's just up there who seems kind of normal, but then he talks and he's engaging and funny, and then he makes this music that's just. Cosmic in like the highest way of like, and it's so loud and such an affront, but it's just this guy who's got up there, and there's something that's so it's like an underdog, it's like a classic kind of underdog situation, yeah. And it feels like that with any artist who's, I think, making something on their own, it's that kind of gargantuan task of going out there and, and doing this huge thing, p- plucking this huge kingdom of a thing from a singular mind yeah it's very romantic yeah it's very romantic yeah it is because the the person i was talking to ended up actually like kind of uh like arguing over it a bit not like maliciously but we were like debating it um and he was more on the side of like uh you know like any anyone who has a giant production team and millions of dollars and other musicians composing and playing all like 95 percent of their song is just as like valid and good and like a piece of art as like elliot smith or or daniel johnston or like dan deacon or whoever um and i mean i never could get to the point where i could assert that it is better to to have like this singular expression because I guess objectively you know like art is so, so subjective but um, yeah. I, I do feel that way but I can't defend it really 
does that make any sense? Yeah, I. That's a. It's a very pertinent discussion to be having about the commercial music that's being created. It feels sometimes like there's two different channels that are going on, and there's the people who are making music commercially, who are doing it in order to plug into a system, who are part of the the music industry. Yeah. And then there's everyone else who's kind of doing it for for. It feels like the 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 reasons for doing it are completely different. Like the structures around why it's done, why the decisions, why the creative decisions are made, yeah, are completely different. They are. And that's not strictly true because I think when I mean you see, it's like if that's the case, then where do you place a band like OK Go, who have producers and, and but are always experimenting, even not just you know, just outside of the studio on the videos, but musically, if you listen to their records, like they're full of really innovative, thoughtful things weird little experimental these people clearly care a great deal about the product that they're making yeah. and I think I'm looking <laughs> I use, I'm going to use Megan Trainer as an example just because I'm looking at her album oh, right I don't now. know who Megan Trainer is Megan Trainer did a song called All About That Bass oh okay I don't know if she was as big in, do you know who that I know that, that is song now? yeah All About That Bass No Trouble yeah she so she and she had another uh, she had some other song I can't remember but she's got a new she, a new record of hers just came out She's like archetypal one-hit wonder, but she, but she's just put out a new record. Um, yeah, Megan Trainor. And when she came out, there was a um, the Onion did an article um, when, like, after all about that bass came out, that was like a, a satirical op-ed, supposedly by Megan Trainor. That the the headline was. Um, I am the person you have to care about now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it did feel like that. It felt like suddenly Megan Trainer was like, the, the committee, the, the, the creative committee of the world had decided <laughs> this is the new face of pop music now. Yeah. Here you are. Yeah, it happens every other listen day. To this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that, that, world of, that world of people. But even on those songs, even on the songs on this record, there's a spark of... I mean, people don't do this unless they love music, unless they love production. They don't get to this stage unless they really love it. So even in products like this, there's there's love and there's thought and care put into these tracks. Even if they are for, you know, making some money or whatever, even if the people are doing it, they're still doing it with passion. And, I, you know, I've met... I've been lucky enough over the past few years to meet people who do this kind of thing, who do this kind of songwriting. I say lucky enough, and I just... The circles that... I, moving in a little bit it's not something that I do personally but uh, yeah it's been interesting it's been it's been interesting to meet these people and to realise and to lose a lot of my cynicism because I had a lot of cynicism about that kind of music and now I realise that the people who were sitting there in those rooms you know for six hours obsessing over a drumbeat uh, are doing so because they because they love doing that it's a thing that they love to do and they care a lot about the music yeah yeah, I mean, it, it can definitely, it's kind of like the, the musical comedy thing, like, there are all these people who try to do this, like, sort of more mainstream, catchy, hooky, uh, more, like, straightforward music or whatever, or even not that, just professional musicians, you know, they're the people who are doing it just as a commodity, and then there are the yeah. people who really care, and the people who do it as a commodity are good at doing that so it proliferates and it's everywhere and 
yeah it it makes it like sort of synonymous with um yeah just garbage music well there's a there's a third category right crucially which is music by the people who have uh been versed in the um the mode of music as commodity and so they only listen to pop music they see pop music's attributes and they see pop stars want to be pop stars and then make music that is bad that tries to plug into that because they want to have that they want to commodify themselves in the same way yeah and you get music like that but i don't well, know also you I have think, i think sometimes that can be successful you have this like very rarefied experience of sort of not becoming commodified but um being a, a pop star basically what like a like a like an embarrassing <laughs> emulation of a pop star i guess like uh, an attempt to plug into that pop system but it was never i i feel like you it, never uh did anything aesthetically or, or musically that was like uh, that felt like you were attempting to just like grab all of the popularity like you you made some very genuine and um, like aesthetically interesting musically interesting music and artwork um, <laughs> even you know even with that pressure to sort of be as popular oh, that, as oh, possible. But, well, my, my, my solo stuff, <clears throat> like organs and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, no, I'm totally proud of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that was really good fun and got to make some nice videos and yeah. I mean, that was a that was a really great project and that got to reach a lot of people and I'll always be grateful for that. Can you tell me about, like, about organs? Like, um... Yeah, totally. So, like, what is, like, uh... You, you made a video, uh... Uh, years ago where you talked about uh like your songs being formed like as a metaphor like from a grain of sand that slowly turns into like the pearl of the the piece of art that results from it and it can be like little tiny things that occur to you was there like an inception point of that record where you it, it sort of does that make any sense yeah, so the way that I always work is, and this is not, I haven't sat down and planned this out as a way of working, this is just kind of what's developed, yeah. is I will write songs or work on songs, and then when I have enough songs for an album, and not, like, I'll, I'll put an album out. And so normally, um, you just <laughs> blew the smoke out of your mouth and <laughs> inhaled it up into yeah, your nose. It was very cool. Yeah, I've gotten very, very uh, cool. like, ad- well, addicted to nicotine, I guess, is the thing. But um, <laughs> oh, I no. can do all kinds of cool stuff with it now. That's <laughs> very cool. Um, sorry, I'm completely distracted by that. So, okay. yeah, uh, I'll make enough songs for a record and put a record out. Although, now that I know that that's the cycle... I, I, that's not, I mean, God, I've been, I'm reinventing the wheel, right? I mean, that's how anybody would fucking do it. But um, the about two-thirds of the way through, a theme starts... The, the, the picture of the record itself starts to come together, and I start to see what the record looks like, and from then on I can start making informed decisions about the rest of the record and going back and altering things about the tracks that I've already made retroactively. 
to to make it of a piece and to make it one entire cohesive thing. Yeah, it's so it's amazing because like, I mean, I guess to you it feels like you're just recording until you have like enough songs, but it's it seems from listening to all of your music, it seems like it's until you have like the songs that. Well, that's it, it is that because there are by the by the end of the process there were like a dozen little audio I mean there were three or four completed songs that didn't make it onto the record and as well as countless like logic files with a couple of little melodies here and there or like lyrics that never got you you know god twice as many ideas that never got used as ones that did but at least but also like you leave out stuff that like I was just talking to you about that um, objective reality track that it's really it's really it's a great song but you didn't feel that it was it fit into your newest record and then with organs you had um uh face a face for memories i think a face for memories so okay so a story about a face for memories so i put out i put out organs in 2013 yeah you put it out the day before my birthday hey sweet that's nice yeah cute fun fact so I put out organs in 2013, and in order to build up some anticipation, so I, I had help on the release of organs um, from uh, AWOL, Artist Without a Label. It's kind of like a label services company uh, called Cobalt, who are affiliated with them. They're still around. They're still one of the biggest players in that that kind of market for like sort of semi-independent, semi-professional musicians. Mm-hmm. So I had a deal with them, and they were helping to promote the record. And they wanted to release a single, and so we put out um, uh, "Take Me Out" yeah. off that record as the single. We made a music video for it, and they said they wanted to put out an EP, so it would be a "Take Me Out" EP with that song as the single, and a couple of other songs on top of it. So I started gathering stuff together, and I recorded a few extra bits, and I sort of tried to figure out what I had. And I had a few little kind of bits and bits and bobs. I didn't want to put that much thought into it, so I put it all together. And I sent it to a few people and I said, here's what I'm going to put out as the EP, what do you think? And they were like, yeah, it's okay. Um, but it didn't, I don't know, it didn't really, hit, it didn't hit right. People didn't, I, and I knew it wasn't really good enough as well. It was, some of them were a bit noisy and a bit weird and a bit scrappy. And I just thought, I don't really know. But it was kind of too late. I had two, it was Friday and the EP was due at the label on Monday. So I had to, I was like, I don't really know. Anyway, that night, that Friday night, I started to work on... I took I took one of the... Um, like a little sound from one of the songs that I was going to put on the thing, and I started to turn it into a... a, a it was the bong, bong, yeah. bong at the start of the... And those were just like little sound effects that were just hanging out at the end of a track. Oh, wow. And I took those and I put them into a keyboard and I sampled them and started playing around with them. Oh. And from there I built up a face for memories and then I recorded Humans and uh, Let's Begin Again oh, in that 48-hour so period. Wow. That whole EP was written and recorded, <laughs> apart from Take Me Out, in just like in 48 hours. That's crazy. Manically. And I got it submitted like half an hour before the deadline and I, that was what was put out. So that's where those songs came from. That's Those amazing. were written after Organs was finished. That whole EP was made after Organs was done. That's, Wow. Yeah, A Face for Memories is like, it's so, uh, I mean, I, I don't really have the words to describe, like, the, 
aura or like the vibe of it. But it's like it's so. It's, quite, it's more menacing, I think, than anything else I've put out. There's something really. Yeah, it's like it's in like industrial sounding and like uh, <laughs> it's abrasive in like an intentional way, not like, not like a way that yeah that guitar solo, man. I just I actually just listened to it for the first time in, a, in a, like about a year or so, I guess, a couple days ago. Um, I was just caught underground and I didn't have any music I wanted to listen to and that if he happened to be on my phone and I listened to A Face for Memories damn yeah that guitar solo is wild I went through like a little phase of like trying to really push guitar solos to the limit yeah you I, <laughs> I remember you made uh, the alien home right at the home had a a, a bitchin' guitar solo Home does have a good guitar <laughs> solo, and the other track that has a good guitar solo is, um, <laughs> uh, um, uh, oh shit, what was it? Uh, yeah, um, off of, uh, the, the track that I released around the same kind of time, Be Careful With Me. Oh, yeah. It was like a B-side for organs. That's got a bitching guitar solo yeah. at the end as well. God, but I can't play guitar, they're all, like, pieced together, they're like like 30 different takes that I like, <laughs> carefully spliced together because I can't fucking I don't that's know. how I play drums I, I just do like a very <laughs> yeah, basic right, nice. thing and then my fills are yeah, like yeah. and then that's it and then I'll add but, 16 more I think that's so legitimate I think in the studio like recording music in the studio it's like making a film like nothing happens people you know these days particularly making a film every shot is tweaked and doctored like every single decision that's yeah. made is, is intentional. And something like The Devil on the new record, yeah. those drums are, are cut up and like individually placed. Every note on that thing is like placed minutely and perfect. Like the whole thing is like doctored and edited to be the perfect. Like it's a recording, you know, yeah. you may as well you may as well um, go for it. My friend unlike uh, the unlike these being sorry, what were we gonna say? My friend uh, Emil from Holy Sons, um, he also plays in Om and Grails, uh, but he uh, he was talking about mixing his album Decline of the West, um, and he essentially like lost his hearing by the end of it because he he was so focused on like the potentiality of every second of audio, like just tweaking it to be exactly how he would like it to be. Um, so yeah, I think that's really valid. Like that sort of uh, production and editing are as as much a uh, like a form of art as all of the other parts. It's my it's my favorite stage of the process. It's something that like you're just the incredibly uh, apt at. Like it's. It's amazing. Well, I think it's just because I like doing it so much, I spend so much time on it. Because it's just my favorite thing to do is, like, get high and stay up until four in the morning, like, just making tiny little tweaks to drum patterns and stuff. Yeah. I could do that forever, just, like, fiddling around in audio files. And when I was making music with Jet, who I was writing with for The Upper World last year, yeah, and we were recording an, uh, an EP, that was... Jet would, it would drive Jet insane to watch me do that because they hated the, the fiddly the fiddliness of it <laughs> and the kind of like the dragging and clicking and moving all the stuff around they drove him fucking wild <laughs> <laughs> and they couldn't understand why 
My art looks just like love I touch it with a fish and it explodes So never mind the mystery of the curse It's only worth a song One of my friends said, like, uh, art is decorating space and music is decorating time And so I would... Oh, that's so good I literally just thought of it in colors and shapes and, like... The drum patterns I thought of as visual, like drawn out patterns and stuff, and um, yeah, it like it, it editing audio is like so intuitive now with like I just use the GarageBand, um, mm, mm-hmm. but it's so intuitive that you can you can really transfer your other aesthetic sensibilities uh, into it. Yeah. That's really true, um, and that kind of approach, yeah, I think about decorating time, or think about how it's a how it's a time-based movement, and to have that spatiality, to introduce that spatiality into it, allows you to come up with ideas. I mean, that's all, all it is, right? It's like any kind of structure of thinking, or any way of thinking about a thing is a way to inspire you in different ways, 
to, to bring in ideas that you wouldn't necessarily have otherwise. Yeah. If you can create that kind of, yeah. And there's also like sort of a natural transformation in the process of uh, converting the types of ideas because you won't, you won't get exactly what you were thinking, but it, it's mm. sort of an element of chaos is introduced that makes it always fun for me. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about the label experimental music lately, because I don't think what I do is experimental music. Um, but I think inherent in all musical creation is a, an amount of experimenting. I mean, even in this Megan Trainer record that I'm still fucking looking at for some reason, it, it's like, it's, there's elements of within the you know someone on there has tried a drum fill for the first time where they've gone hey why don't we sing it like that what happens if we experimentation is an embedded uh, ir irrevocably embedded part of the creative process so to call something experimental i think it's kind of redundant is, it can be but i think it does have a use and i think to music that is to be labeled experimental is music where you don't have a goal in mind. Mm. So like with the Megan Trainer stuff, they want to do a thing. Yeah. They have a thing that they are setting out to do. And the experimentation comes in whether they can achieve that. Like, oh, maybe this will get us to the result that we want yeah. to achieve. Maybe this will take us there. With experimental music, so-called, it is, they're going, let's try this. Who knows where it will go? And let's figure it out like you, and let's let it lead us. Yeah. Well, you kind of like straddle that line between experimentation and sort of, uh, I guess, like pop sensibilities, you know, like structured in the vaguest sense. Um, yes. Because you always. Yeah, no, it's true. Like you, you always abandon what you figured out already like you scrap it and explore new territory yeah with every record i try to do that yeah i always want to i always want to do that i think that's like i don't want to make the same record twice like i i i think that's one of the many but one of the most important jobs of the artist like as an archetype like uh illuminating the unknown and delving deeper and deeper into it and into yourself and finding like this new territory which yes that's yes. part of the reason that i that i i'm not super excited by um you know just the kind of stuff that we we're talking about that's like very mainstream trainer yeah <laughs> i keep dragging her in i'm sorry if you're listening <laughs> Um, I, I think that's true. I think an equally valid mode of exploration uh, for a musician to take is to um, stake out the boundaries of the area that you're interested in exploring and just keep going deeper into that one area. People like Beach House yeah, I love Beach have House. a sound. Me too. They, every record is the same. They've got a thing that That's they do, yeah. and they're digging in deeper and deeper to it every single time. Ratatat, um, Destroyer. Ratatat, yeah. yes. Uh, a lot of electronic people like uh, Aphex Twin, although his, the ground that he staked out is vast. 
but it's still, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's a, maybe that's not true. Actually, maybe he's not a good example. Well, that and maybe that, someone like uh, Square Pusher. No, again, that's a bad example because he's, he's all kinds of crazy things. I don't know. I feel like there's something about electronic music. Maybe um, Boards of Canada. Maybe. Yeah, they're they're cool. I, I feel like uh, going into that more specific area though is like delving deeper into something that's innate to you, because it's like your style or whatever. Like, like you, like your music. Uh, is I mean like anyone who's heard like a whole record could could be given like any one of your songs and it would be recognizable as your yeah style yeah 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 I think so partly because of the voice because of the vocals yeah but even like without it like uh, like the Nine Tails podcast like there were parts where you your voice wasn't there but like your aesthetic presence was like very much there. <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny yeah i guess so yeah 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 um yeah i do the production that i the production choices that i make i mean i produce in a a certain way that i think does sound i mean i don't know i've been promoting this record or trying to and i've been trying to put some of the tracks out send some of the tracks around and stuff it's out on the 21st of february 2020 and 2020 if it's if there's a 21st of february coming up <laughs> it's that one it's out it's either it's going to be out soon or it's out already yeah and and i i've been getting to listen to it for uh since like christmas ish and yeah um, i sent you a yeah oh it's sneak so peek. magnificent and it it's been so hard to keep it to myself <laughs> and i have um but uh oh yeah it's it you you've really it is kind of exploring new territory within the boundaries that that define you uh yeah i think i've been allowed to uh do a lot more and make a much clearer picture of what i envision cuz like i had access to a studio like a proper recording studio for the first time yeah. in my whole career. You know, I've always recorded at home. Uh, and this time it was in a proper studio. Actually, that's not strictly true. I, I, I have done stuff in studio before, but like a long time ago, Organs was recorded entirely at home. And um, Somebody said the other day, actually, I don't know how true this is. I don't know how you feel about this. Somebody wrote a review of Organs because they were looking back at their kind of like favorite records of the decade or whatever. Mm -hmm. And... They they said that it sounded that it was like a lo-fi record. Do you think Organs is a lo-fi record? It's sort of well. I I feel like it's kind of it's like a hi-fi record that is made by a lo-fi artist. Um, if that makes any right, sense, right? Which is what all my work it's is. Like, yeah, it's, it's lo-fi. You know how much I love lo-fi. Like I'm very into lo-fi. It's lo-fi like, making lo-fi. It's like stuff. all of the stuff that I like about lo-fi minus all of the things that I don't like about lo-fi. Oh hey, cool. <laughs> my target audience. <laughs> yeah, and then then is a being. I would consider that lo-fi because that's oh, got like the tape yeah, piss Total lo-fi. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, there's something about lo-fi. Um, Specifically, I've been listening to this band from uh, North Carolina from like the 90s called Polvo. I don't know if you've ever heard Polvo. Pol 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 Pol
Polvo. P-O-L-V-O. Yeah. No, I've never heard of them. They're like a technical punk, I guess. I, I don't know how to define it. <laughs> but it's okay. It's lo-fi lo and then absurdly high technical ability put together. Oh, no, I love that. Can you send me a link to some of that stuff? I will, yeah. yeah right after, after this, me. thank you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you also, like, embody that just like right we're right like this very yeah good i think i think the years of being particularly was a really enjoyable process because i think there's something quite inherently funny about d making really complicated music and then recording it really lo-fi yeah it's like you're 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 it's like bathos like you're undercutting yourself constantly and it's it's undermining everything you're saying. It's so great, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It's a really, it's a really good. It's a really um, powerful uh, technique. It's a really powerful little trick. The the uh, Lagrange points song is the song that I'll show to anybody <laughs> who I'm trying to um, indoctrinate into Jim and I, I fandom. Right. And it, uh, it yeah, works because, cool. right. like, I mean, there might be other songs that do it better that I don't know of, but of the songs that I know, like, that is, that it perfectly personifies what I was just talking about of, like, lo-fi recordings of, like, very, like, complex and beautiful and... I need to find 
I think there are a lot of people who use lo-fi, the people who are the best at lo-fi music are the people who understand the phenomenology of fidelity and who can use the, the way that low fidelity makes a sound sound as a tool in itself. So different types of low fidelity have different emotional responses. You can make something sad or angry or lonely, or you can do so much just by using distortion. It changes the, the emotional resonance of the music. And so to be able to speak the language of that and to be able to use it, people like flat sound do it really well. Um, people like... Uh, oh God, who's another? I don't, I don't know. But it's not. But people like Daniel Johnston, for instance, who are doing lo-fi. All the stuff that he made was lo-fi by necessity, which is different. It hits still, and it's good to you still get that from it. But it hasn't been done intentionally. He's not making the conscious decision to use fidelity in that way. He had no choice, and to come at lo-fi from hi-fi as a as a technical decision yeah. i think contributes hugely to to yeah how it affects yeah to, to to how the record hits oh wow yeah wow i'm just thinking about that that's so <laughs> that's very insightful to me i i feel like um i don't think you've listened much to holy sons like emo's solo stuff but um no he does that amazingly um he, he, like, started recording in, like, the 90s, and um, he's friends with uh, John John Darnell. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, so, fine. Nice. Um, they're sort of in the same, like, lo-fi cult mindset, um, but Emo has right. a lot more, um, like, production knowledge and, and is kind of approaching it in that, like, high Right, so he's using lo-fi, because... Right, because John Daniel, of course, used lo-fi, like again, out of necessity. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, yeah. You know who else uses it really effectively, who really understands fidelity? Is Mount Erie, Phil oh, Overham. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Things like the, the microphones records, like uh, the Globe Part 2 and stuff. Hot damn, does that amazing. guy understand? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, how did you, like find out that you were an artist and and like a, a musician like what that's was, a really good what question was like growing wow up like i know nothing about that about you so i was a weird kid i've been writing and drawing since i was way small i was fascinated by music and sound creation just like obsessed since I was like tiny I would not I started playing the piano 
my mum got a piano because she wanted to learn and I just wouldn't leave it alone. So she got me lessons instead of her learning. Oh, that's so sweet. Which is really sweet and incredible sacrifice. Um, she's, I mean, she does all kinds of cool creative things. It wasn't like a... That's beautiful. I, I ended my... I <laughs> had to terminate my mother's creative <laughs> career for the sake of my own. Of course. Um, but they're not... My parents aren't massively creative. But my mum's, you know, you know, has a creative role where she works, but she's not... They're not she's not an artist. She's not a creative in that sense. Neither is my dad. Neither is really anyone in my family. Hmm. Um, I'm kind of alone in that. That's interesting. Like, I, I assumed that you probably came from very artistically minded people just because no. how imbued you are with, like... Right. Just it's like, always been weird. Yeah. They, they used to think... Like, they used to try and get me to give it up because I was so obsessed with it, particularly when I started, when I was sort of 17, going to college and doing my A-levels, and I started doing music tech, basically because the guy running the music tech course told me to do it. Um, Because I think he saw that I was really interested in that without me even noticing. And that's when I started to get into recording. And then I got really obsessed. That was when I got really... I was staying behind and using the computers at school until like six in the evening until they kicked me out like I was always in there always working on stuff always making music always recording um I just became obsessed with this fact that I could record a track and then overdub it with something else yeah and so I was you know making these early recordings I got a computer started doing it at home and I didn't have a job or anything and I I eventually like I left college and I was had like a year before I was meant to go to university and I was just at home recording all the time. I was just working on music and my parents were like, you need to get a job. You need to, you know, sort yourself out. And I had a few jobs. I couldn't really hold them down. I was never really that into it. Um, I just wanted to be making music. And 11 years later, that's still the case. That's so beautiful. It's, is it? Yeah. I feel like it's, I feel like it's shameful. I don't I I really don't think I don't know I just don't think I function in society very effectively well I mean I don't think um, that that's a a defining factor of nobility you know like how well <laughs> you get along with your fucked up society very true <laughs> very true in fact it's, well it's sometimes a defining it is a positive is boon it. yes yeah yeah <laughs> um, um, yeah but that's been. But that was. I mean, that's always kind of been a bone of contention with my my family, with my parents. Are they, I even now they don't really get what I do, and they <laughs> wish I would, because it's. I like I played my new record to my dad. Like we sat down, and he's always interested in what I'm doing. Yeah, and he's supportive. But the first thing he said when he finished it was, um, "I just wish." Uh, it's just such a shame that people aren't going to hear it. I just wish you'd made it more accessible well what what does that mean like (laughs) like like he feels like i'm uh and like look i don't this isn't i don't want this to become sort of like a like a therapy session i don't really care that much about what (laughs) what my dad thinks about my work Um, but it's interesting 
<laughs> it's it's just interesting because it obviously like the work that I make is very personal to me and very meaningful. Yeah. But to him, it's almost like he thinks I'm being sort of willfully obtuse and making it like yes. intentionally difficult. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he thinks I'm being you know it's like why don't why don't you just make pop music? That's you know why would anybody <laughs> with the talent that you have not be spending it making the most popular music possible? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I completely. Uh, that is the same exact <laughs> dynamic that I have with my father. But um, right, literally, right. interesting. Literally, what to, is it with these today? Men? Like um, tomorrow, there's like a local art event where there'll be a bunch of people downtown, right. and um, I'm like selling some of my drawings and paintings and such. And um, right, I like showed him something I had framed, and I was like, "What do you think of this?" And he's like, "Hmm," like didn't give a shit at all. Um, oh my god and he's like you know so sorry. what's popular here is like uh you know fleur de lis um <laughs> like <laughs> like uh scenes of like uh you know the local wildlife and stuff right right and right like, right <sighs> i mean i get what Dad, he's Dad, saying i'm trying to i'm trying to blow minds here i understand exactly what he means and my i have my own part of my brain that tells me the same things that I ignore. Right, um, right. <laughs> but yeah, like right, I'm, I'm yeah, trying totally. to delve, like we were talking, delve into these these new areas of, of exploration, and I feel like I've encapsulated a few little bits that I've found, and I'm proud of them. And um, yeah, just a whole swath of people are like, why aren't you just like drawing dogs for people? Because like... <coughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Whenever I whenever I try to do work that's more, you know, commercially, or whenever I try to commercialize it in any way, I, I hate it. I hate working on it. I can't stand it. I hate myself. I hate the yeah. work. I get I get anxious about it. I, I worry that it's not good enough yes. because I'm trying to perform to some kind of, I'm trying to conform to some kind of standard that I don't really understand. Yes. So I'm having to. Yeah, yeah. It's a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's not there's nothing noble in what I do you know it's it's all um out of necessity it's all just because I have to I can't work in any other way it's the I'm, I literally it's the only thing that I I'm interested in doing cuz I have really bad ADHD like I always have as a kid I was terrible I couldn't concentrate in class it was a nightmare uh, I was so disorganized and so bright and thoughtful and offering answers to questions and like always asking really interesting questions but never staying still or never able to and I'm still like that today as well like I try god I was meant to do so much today and I got none of it (laughs) none of it done because I just every time I try to click somewhere or go somewhere I always get distracted or I'm having to do something else I finished a painting today yeah I saw it can we talk about my paintings I love it I'd love to talk about my yes I'm so excited about what I'm doing visually at the moment that's, that's so wonderful. nice i feel like as i get older i'm getting more into and i feel like it's 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 a real kind of old person pursuit painting and i think i know why i think it's because it requires a kind of i mean you know what it's like to 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 get into that kind of body state where you are your your brain is kind of off yeah and your body is making the decisions yeah and the, the work that you end up creating is fluid and has a real kind of natural... Like, you're just sort of channeling it through you. Yeah, um, um, Alan Watts calls it... Um, he says, like... Uh, I forgot what his metaphor was. 
it's something along the lines of you don't think and draw, you think draw. Like it's it's one mm. combined action and thought that doesn't have a mediator between it. That's nice. I love Alan Watts. He's That's so he's good. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I totally get that, what you're talking about. And to get into that state is like a meditative practice. Yes. So I find it very relaxing. I really enjoy doing it. But it's very time-consuming. Yes. I don't get the chance to do it much. And particularly in now that I'm making paintings and like getting more into that, and the, like the technicality of making a painting, I end up spending way more time on preparing the painting than I actually do doing the painting. <laughs> yeah. Like gessoing the canvas, sanding the canvas, um, yeah. mixing, like getting everything, like doing all that like prep stuff, which I hate. <laughs> so it's actually really annoying. I'm doing way less painting now because I, I made a couple of really good, gorgeous paintings on really nicely prepared canvases and now I just don't have the time. I like doing all the preparation because it makes me feel like, um, uh, I don't know, like whenever you see people in like a woodworking shop and they like they know what they're doing and they're like cutting stuff. Oh and yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, nice. Makes me feel. Yeah, you get to feel like a real American. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> doing real work. <laughs> yeah, but I I used to like um, I, I really wanted to make a big set of these like, gridded out. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but they're like there's a clock in the middle and then it's like geometric everything sort of cubist. Oh. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Those took like sixty hours a piece, and I, <sighs> like, it was at times grueling and and at times like very serene in its meditative nature to make it like bi- bilaterally symmetrical. So I'd have to be paying attention oh, and yeah. do, doing one little piece at a time. Oh, great, great, great! Um, yeah, yeah, that's so nice. But the necessity of of uh, keeping it symmetrical in that way. It's like you you have to become hyper conscious of it, and then it it makes you focus on it so much that your aesthetic decisions and all of the other decisions that you're making are <laughs> you don't get to really think about them so much. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so true. Um, yes, it requires. That's another. That's yeah. That's such a good thing. That's such a beautiful thing. Like that you have to have these different levels of thinking. You have to be micro-macro all the time. Like, intensely focused on the one little mark gesture that you're making at the time, while also being aware of the grand gesture of the picture as a whole, the gestalt of it. Yeah. And to kind of position yourself in between those is like a, it's like listening to binaural beats. You just skip your head out into it like a different, <laughs> a different dimension because you're trying to concentrate on two different things at once that just pops you out into like a yeah another nth dimension <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's uh that's very evident in your music as well it's always like that's like one of the i i guess i probably found your music when i was about like 14 years old i'm 24 mm. now so oh, damn okay fine so you were around for some of the earlier stuff like um uh painfully mainstream that record yeah yeah um yeah but always, like, with your music, even when I was, like, at a, a level of, like, my cognitive development that I couldn't fully really understand what you were doing a lot of the time, <laughs> just because I was, like, young, <laughs> um, like, I was always, like, aware of, like, the fact that, like, okay, this person is thinking on all these different levels, and, like, an artist does this, like, like 
has to have this like multi-layered dimensionality to their expression and their their creation um Hmm. yeah yeah you were like a very um defining artist for for me making my own art well that's nice to hear i'm really glad especially with Um, explorers um Oh yeah, let's talk about those, huh? Yeah, so so you you started that after painfully mainstream, which was your first record, right? So I did a record in two thousand seven called Awkward Ballads for the Easily Pleased, which yeah. was my first record. I was like nineteen, um, and after that, I got some insane, really, to look back on it. I got some money to make the second record. I got given some money from a, so nice. uh, a label who were interested in seeing what I could do. And I went to a studio called Soup, which was in the basement of uh, a shop called the Duke of Uke, which I later worked at for a while. Yeah. Um, and I recorded along with recording at a place called Dream Track from by a guy called Ollie Horton. And I, I recorded it at those two studios. Uh, painfully mainstream, this is. Yeah. Um, and that was my only studio record. And that was my only... It's the only record I've made that I didn't engineer. So... And 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 kind of produce. That was the, Yeah, that was me working kind of with other people. So... But that was an interesting record. For me, like... Um, I mean, obviously, you, you know more about the internal workings of your, your whole artistic career that I do but observing it like for me when you started Explorers uh, like in my mind there's a very definite line there of like a departure into something new and like right. I don't know it seemed like your whole thought process had like done this like metamorphosis into something very different Oh, yeah, I, I started taking drugs. Oh, perfect. I wanted to talk about that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the, that was the threshold upon which I started taking drugs. So after, um, yeah, after Painfully Mainstream came out, I started in earnest smoking weed. Excellent. Full-time. <laughs> Not full-time, but... Oh, like, well, no, I mean... Yeah, every, okay. now and, every now and again. Yeah. But, like... Um, you know, I mean, it's only ramped up since then. But I, yeah, that was when I started to experiment with making music while high. And yeah, yeah, and I, I didn't take acid until after. I can't remember when the first time I did. Was it acid before was. organs? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was before organs. I think it was. Why did I? Yeah. I think it was, um, yeah, around Explorers 5, 6 time. Okay, yeah. Explorers 6 definitely, I feel, has to uh, have some LSD influence. So, let me give some people some background on these. So, right, so, Explorers is a series. It was a series of EPs that I made where, because I'd, ju- I'd finished making paintings. So, this is kind of what I was saying. I made Painfully Mainstream in a studio, right? With other people, it was a big project. It was very focused. 
I wanted to get better as a performer and as a an artist generally. And I was also really, I was getting too head up about, oh, I need to make, you know, I need to book time in a studio, I need to do the... And I had just kind of a wild, like, I just want to put something out. I just want to make something for the sake of making it. I just want to put it out. So I did that with Explorers 1. I made it in a night. Oh, wow. Um, and I just put it out. I mean, it's not that weird when you think about it, because when you actually can listen to it, it's, you know, it's like, I was, I tell you what was inspiring to me was Boredoms. I was listening to a lot of Boredoms at the time, and they had a series called Super Roots, which they were putting out, and the first Explorers is really similar to some of the early Super Roots recordings. Oh, wow. They're, like, super lo-fi, super kind of, like... Oh, it feels kind of improvised. So that was a huge inspiration to me. And I put that EP out, and then from then on, yeah, I was just like, hey, fuck it, let's just record. And I wasn't putting any effects on anything. I wanted it to be really dry because I wanted the, the performance to be the thing. I wanted it to be... I wanted to use it to get better at performing and to not rely so heavily on having to edit things. Okay, wow. So that when I would go back to editing things for organs, I'd be a better musician. Yeah. And I'd be able to come up with better instrumental parts and I'd have a better understanding of orchestration and all that kind of stuff. So Explorers was literally a series for me to explore further outside of my comfort zone and expand my realm... Yeah, and in order to make a better record, I really liked um, the the aspect of it, in which you're you're just taking sort of like these like formal elements of the music that you wanted to make, and then exploring each one individually. So what, like, um, like there like was one where it was like echo and echo-y. like droney and yeah. stuff. Um, yeah, 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 Explorers 5. Yeah. And then Explorers um, 6 was like a... I mean, it, it was the crescendo of everything. Like it, it. Yeah, it was the culmination of the project. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and that, that on its own first... is better than a lot of people's, like, full-length LPs. Like, Th- I mean, that, that was a great... I mean, yeah, I'm really happy with that. That even now, like, Explorers 6 really is something else. I mean, Lines, and I, that song is like... <laughs> Like, oh, oh my goodness! <laughs> That's, I I I had so much fun making that record. I had so much fun making that record, and I remember it very clearly. Being in that bedroom and living in that house with my friends, I just moved out from home. I was like twenty. I moved out when I was twenty-one. So I must have been twenty-two, twenty-three, maybe twenty-two. And yeah, God, I had such a good time making that record. And showing the tracks to my friends when they came home. And yeah, that was a real step up for me. I could really feel something had changed. And people who had seen me, because previously my music had been, before Explorers 1, it was unusual, certainly. But people saw me as a basic sort of singer-songwriter kind of character, right? I yeah. think. Um, so what... Um, you said, like, you took acid and, like, started... It's like making music <laughs> with drugs. Changed. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it's sure. hard to define it because I mean the same type of thing happened with me with visual art, but yeah, everything changes. And I mean, can, can you like describe 
like any specific parts of your experience that like it deeply influenced you um i i think um like i can give you an example if you want a little time to think yeah tell me you tell me one from you give me one so i i took acid uh i, I don't know what year it was but it was maybe 2014 15 um and i took it with the intention of uh sort of finding purpose in my existence um and i like set that intention in my mind and sort of uh as close as like an atheist can come to praying like uh mm. set that intention like i just want something to live for that that i can mm. that i can make my own meaning with and mm. uh like a quarter of the way through the trip I just, I felt this, like, presence of something, um, and it just gave me this compulsion to, uh, to just make lines, like, on a paper, just draw and, like, make these shapes and stuff, and mm. it was the most cathartic, calming, um, beautiful experience that I've ever had and um yeah like ever since then like yeah everything's just different inside of me now like I, I just I feel like I have this source within myself like this well that I can go to that has this like creative potential that that you can form into stuff yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um that's so true um i think psychedelics one of the best things about them is that they can remind you of the joy of creation of just the sheer joy of putting a pen on a piece of paper and moving it to another position on the paper and leaving a mark behind yeah it's mind blowing <laughs> the sheer physical pleasure of mark making yeah and gesturality and how nothing more is needed to have a good time just the making of a mark regardless of intention for, for me like that making of the mark I, like I, I felt everything that you're saying about just the gestural sort of novelty of it but also it was <laughs> um, it was instantaneous alchemy of like having nothing and then creating yes. an object yeah it's magic it's magic. It yeah, magic yeah 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 yeah. you create you turn a bit of your brain into a real thing yeah you take a thought and you reify it <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's so good and music is the same man like I I I with this record in particular the whole thing is about language this new record murder dark remains yes. it's all about language and another one of the huge things that i learned from acid that acid taught me because i do see it as a kind of an educational process you know For i sure. do see yeah. i see psychedelics in that you know terence mckenna oh you like terence mckenna that's so great george cullen kind of way yeah, i like a lot of his stuff 
Yeah. Um, I'm not on board with every single thing of it, but like yeah, same. I mean, he has I think so he's a cool much guy. stuff. Like I don't even. Oh yeah, know, yeah, 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 but, yeah. Um, he's brilliant. Um, but I think yeah, he, like the the res- it's so worthy of one's respect. And and a thing that I learned from psychedelics is uh, the arbitrary nature of things like language, the 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 created nature of it, and how kind of silly and and flat it is, and how um, granular it is. How it's not a perfect. There is not. You cannot describe every point on a, a an emotional spectrum. Right. with words the words sit at predefined points on that spectrum and by combining them with other words you can get close and that's what poetry is about right yeah is you can describe you can kind of describe the negative space around an object hmm. or a thing and you can describe the thing itself but you're always having to use approximations based on the words you have yes music painting those are other i call them supralingual hmm. they go above yeah language and there are far more subtle nuanced ways to express things emotions feelings uh, experiences and you can get a far more rich but often it's less clear language is very useful because it uh, i know what a dog is and you know what a dog is right. and when i say dog you think of a functionally a dog uh-huh. it might not be necessarily exactly the same yeah, dog, I mean, but I, I it's just you know like a kind of what you would see in like a bi- bio like a biology book of like a drawing of a dog from the side you know uh, so so like language okay, is cool. all like i think the difference between language and like a melody is that the melody is not a representation of something it embodies itself well it is still a representation of something but it does exist on its own as well i think what we forget about words is that they exist on their own as well that's kind of what was exposed to me through acid it's like oh w- words are things like the word like dogs are things but the word dog is also a thing separate to dogs <laughs> yeah and 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 it's also it is not a dog yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the word dog is not. It's like the do, it's like a million miles away dog, from what know? a dog is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and true. Like so concept, true. Yeah, the concept of it. <laughs> that, that's the thing that it taught me is that the concept of anything is not it. So, like, my concept of myself is not me. Oh, that's so good. Yes. Um, yeah, absolutely, and it's crucially, I think we use it as a shorthand so effortlessly as a species that those three things get conflated and crushed together into one they get flattened into one immutable thing but we have to there's no we can't live otherwise otherwise we'd constantly be walking around just like amazed at the very fact that we're able to think at this kind of high level i'd love to live that way well, no, but this is the thing. So the record that I've made, the whole record, the story of the record, is two people on the first track, they make that deal with the devil yeah. and they get to experience language from outside of it. They basically go on a kind of like a specialised acid trip wow. that takes them outside of it. And the rest of the record is them trying to get back to being human. Can you give me because kind it, of a synopsis of um, like the linear progression like of track that track by story? track? So let's have a think. Um, yeah, the devil...
is, you know, somebody kind of losing their inhibitions and then opening themselves up to making a deal with the devil, with a friend of theirs, or like they, it's kind of like a, oh god, what the hell have you done, kind of situation, where suddenly like they're thrown out of, like they don't know what meaning is anymore, they've lost all trace of what, what they feel they, they're outside of language, like a monkey paw wish. I can only see the good in you. Do you believe there's good in me? Thinking only in imperatives. Feeling so happy, happy to be free. So. Embarrassed and destigmatized. I've abandoned my stereotypes, leaving my morality behind.
then there's Making Lots of Money, which is... I like it because it's a track that only has two lyrics, right? Like, yeah. there's only two lines. And they're, like, kind of... Cr- like, you know, it's, like, the the defining... It's like, if you could reduce society down to one thing, <laughs> <laughs> like, modern society down to, like, the one thing, it's, like, making lots of money, having lots of fun. Yeah. Um, and then... That, that song is... The, I don't want to like interrupt you with it, but that song is. No, go for like, it. Um, I've heard very few songs that feel like they're in such a grand, like enormous space. <laughs> it's huge, right? It's, it's a enormous, huge track. Yeah. <laughs> this has been some of the things that I've been able to do because I had the recording studio because I had the capacity. I would never have been able to make a track that huge at home, and that's just because I could make things really fucking loud in the space. Um, and record that loudness and, and, and put it in different spaces and fit, like physically move amps to different... Yeah. yeah, really lucky to have that. So, yeah, that's a huge track um, and like a nice kind of washy thing after all the like the fine, that fine, like pointillist things of the devil. Yeah. Uh, so going off topic here a little bit, but um, it's just nice to talk through it with somebody. God, yeah, um, I mean, there's no <laughs> like, like, necessary topic. Um, like it's, it's, it's better for you to just like express whatever comes to mind okay all right yeah, yeah cool um so i'll, I'll push on yeah, it is the very pointillist like the the devil like the the drums a, that so... track took me that track took me three months i wow I, I was obsessed with that track for for days and nights and days and nights and days and nights all that i thought about that's a huge achievement that, that that track stands alone as being like a singular achievement for me in my life everybody i like, know who's heard it is always like kind of floored by the that first like transition into like the more like electronic uh louder part where, like, that's really playing. nice to hear yeah, it's i i was um i was submitting it to a lot of blogs like around the time when it came out and it got like routinely rejected by pretty much everybody because they were like this is like pretty but it's too wild. I don't know what to do with this <laughs> change up in the middle. I don't know. I can't. We can't have this on our blog. Oh, that's, a, that's so stupid. Uh, it's a it's a weird they, it's a weird all, world. They all the, have the music. Our, our fathers critis- criticism blogosphere. They all have what? Sorry. The minds of uh, your dad and mine. <laughs> they're all my dad. Yeah, yeah, they're all my dad in disguise. Um, but the Hierophant, which was the other single that I released, yeah. that uh, I think some some people are kind of interested in that. That's a lot more, even though it like starts in seven eight. Um, it's like the only the only weird time signature on the record. But like um, that track is about going to a party and there being somebody there who's like pretending to be cooler than they are, hmm. like pretending to be you know the kind of people who i mean who like sort of pretend like self-mythologize yeah and who pretends to i'm i fall victim to it sometimes and and who are like uh, creating an illusion of grandeur around themselves and sort of trying to come across to people as sort of somehow mystical or special (laughs) to impress people and make friends yeah yeah i dated someone like that for a while (laughs) so yeah i've dated someone like that (laughs) it's easy to do so um i that that kind of person is the person being addressed in the Hierophant. So it's somebody who's at a party who's, like, mad at someone for acting like yeah, that. Yeah, that's great. I, I, um, <laughs> I ended up looking up uh, Lucasade. Oh, you didn't know what Lucas? Oh, I had no idea what that so, was. Yeah. <laughs> it's like an energy drink. Yeah. It's like a, yeah, it's like a sugary, like a glucose, yeah. like an energy drink. 
<laughs> I'm sure it would be disgusting hot. Uh, I don't know why I thought. I, I love I don't it. Know it's why, like because there's a line. There's a line in it that's get high a lot these days and drink your Lucasade hot. Like I don't know. It just seemed like a good, a good um, attribute for an annoying person. To have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, like what would that be a, what would be a really that, specific that annoying thing that someone could do? Yeah. Um, so so is that um, <laughs> is this involving those same uh, characters from like the intro, or is that sort of no, no? They don't carry through really like that. It, not quite, at least. Okay. It's more like a story told in like a number of episodes around a theme so it's like the characters not set characters but people kind of drift in and out or it's like you can easily apply the um because obviously i mean the main character is me right i'm the person making the record the real narrative is a person sat down and made a record yeah (laughs) it's like every album is a concept album the concept is a person makes some music (laughs) 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 Um, (laughs) i hope that like um, uh that that quote lives on for a very long time. <laughs> like that, I hope it goes back to exactly what we were talking about earlier. When we were like, when when you listen to something, you have like the cr- the critique of the record always involves the process of making the record. The story of the person making it is factored in. Yeah, and it is always. Um, but I'm sorry, I'm kind of getting super lost in the weeds on that. Um, if I carry on through, what have we got next? The invisible hollow blue. Oh yeah, that is. one's that one's amazing. Man, uh, I I nearly submitted that one as a single as well. I I, I uh, that one is uh, I mean, I it's think the most intense track on the record. That's like the the point in the record where my first listen to it, um, I was like, I I think I told you like there was like a certain point where it clicked for me like later in the record and it was that track but it's not that it like clicked in that it made sense it was that it clicked and like pushed into this like hyperdrive gear that i associate with you <laughs> uh, just, okay like, right well like fast of it. am i it's like i do make fast music i have a habit of making fast music it's not just like fast it's like all of the elements that you're putting together like intermingle in like this really specific way that like is like luminescent in some way oh well thanks man that's really sweet um but yeah it's, it's yeah, a I'm great part of that track but that one that one's about um meeting somebody who you had like a really bad time with <laughs> a while back so it kind of follows on from the Hierophant. It's almost like seeing them at the next party. Or like, or maybe not, but like maybe if like, it's like, I guess what I envision it as is like, I guess if you were in a relationship with somebody and it drove you both crazy, yeah. like you, like both of you had a really bad time in that relationship and at some point you figured out like, oh, I guess we're kind of doing this to each other and we need to break up. And then you break up and then you get better and you don't necessarily hold a grudge against them. But then it's like, and this is a this is a dynamic that I really like and that I'm really interested in. Is this like, they come back at the end, they come back into your life, and without even trying, like they've recaptured you. Like the magic is there still between you two, yeah. and you can't resist them because you like there's something you make each other feel amazing, but you know it's bad for you. You know it's toxic. That kind of push pull of like. Do you get? Do you get what I mean? Yeah, yeah. 
so then that that sort of there you're all theirs uh, the the lyric at the end didn't even have to try and now I'm all yours and the, they just walk back into your life they bring this the invisible hullabaloo this kind of you can't see it but there's just this demonic energy around your friendship or your relationship yeah. or whatever it's always there wow the the uh, irretrievability of, of the soul, soul at the beginning <laughs> irretrievability of the soul yeah 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 that's my friend Marie I I I wanted that, so that wasn't that wasn't like a clip that I cut from anything. I explicitly wanted. I, I had a for some reason I was listening through to the record. I was like, the transition between these two tracks isn't right. What I need is for my friend Marie to say the words "irretrievability of the soul." It's so so I rang her up and I said, "Can I? Can we book some studio time? I booked a day in the studio." She came in. I set the microphones up. She said those words. We packed up and we went home. <laughs> <laughs> we did like three takes. And I picked the first one. <laughs> yeah, it's. But it was it was really necessary for me to have that in there. Yeah, I think it's like it really like sets the the tone of everything in a slightly different place than if it wasn't there. Huh, yeah. I'm glad. I, I'm always super in awe of people like. Um, uh, Mark Linkus, um, uh, shit, what's his band called? Do you know who I'm talking about? Mark Linkus? No. Did a record called Good Morning Spider. Hold on one second. There's my keyboard. Sorry. Uh, Sparkle Horse. Sparkle Horse. So Sparkle Horse is a guy called Mark Linkus. It's a great um, the Sparkle Horse. Right. Sparkle Horse. Definitely check out the record Good Morning Spider. Okay. It's so great. Um, and it's you will love it. Um, but it's it's one of those things that goes all you know, you don't really know where one track ends and another begins. Yeah. And that's never been my I've never been able to do that. But I fucking love well, it when people do. I mean, for me, you definitely did that with this most recent record. Probably Probably oh, yeah? oh, at least partially because it was not actually split into tracks when you said right because you just have one big but I love the nature yeah. of that because it made me sort of listen to it as a whole instead of mm. flipping about right because there's the bit at the end of um, of this track of uh, Invisible Hollow Blue where it like ends and then like picks back up again for like a final coda yeah yeah with all the words in that's really good fun I wanted to get at least one bit that was like on the record that was like just words, just like isolated words, like in my paintings. Yeah, yeah. Like I really, that was really important for me to have. And then handwriting is about reading someone's writing. So there's there's um, an essay by Roland Bart um, on Cy Twombly. Yeah. That my friend Hannah showed me. So uh, I have all these friends who are also making art. I've kind of built a little community around me here in London of other artists who are working with language in interesting ways. Um, so as Nine Tales Collective, we put out a uh, like a little anthology of a lot of work of me and this sort of group of people. We're kind of building like a small kind of school of artists who are working with like kind of deconstructing language in different ways. Yeah. Um, and one of them is, is Hannah. And uh, Hannah recommended this article, this Roland Barth article, to me, and that became the foundational text for handwriting. So, um, what was like the gist of the article? 
the gist of the article talks about it talks about gesturality. It talks about the work of Cy Twombly, the the painter Cy Twombly. So for people at home, like a, a abstract painter, abstract expressionist, who does a lot of things that look very scribbly. Yeah. And a lot of the work that he makes is very scribbly and quite kind of. It looks like someone's worked very hard and rubbed a lot of things out and written things back in again. Yeah, wh- um, where I so where I grew about, up in Houston um, downtown, there's like a whole building that's dedicated to. Uh, really very very large pieces of his artwork it's by the Rothko Chapel and it's uh, uh-huh. mm. yeah oh you, you the it's cool that you have the Rothko Chapel that's so nice yeah it's do you go often well I live in Louisiana now but Houston's like four hours away but every time that I get oh, a right, chance to I go I used to go more often but um that's so nice <laughs> it's actually I have like a short anecdote about it if you're interested yeah 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 go 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 it, uh, like I, I went there after my aunt died um, like she committed suicide but um, she was probably like in her 60s she had like various chronic conditions that were very painful and um, mm. I, I went there shortly after that happened and like you go in and it's sort of an octagonal building with these black canvases um, and like sunlight coming through the top of the building and I sat and I like meditated just like on my breath uh, for like maybe 15 minutes and Mm. then I got up and I started looking at the paintings and I'd look at them from like Rothko suggested like about an inch away and then to back up. And so, like, the second one that I looked at, um, you know, just staring at this blackness, but then the sun, like, comes in, it changes a little bit, and you see that actually there's these super vibrant colors, this, this, like, striations of, like, purples and pink and yellow and red and like navy and green and like it like it's it struck me in a way that no other piece of visual art ever has and it gave me a feeling that does not have a word associated with it Mm. and um (laughs) yeah yeah so I, I love the Rothko Chapel and Rothko, um, Rothko committed suicide too. Yeah. And, uh, I think he knew something fundamental about the nature of being. Hmm. I think that comes through in his work. It does. Um, Yeah. There's something very profoundly... There's a kind of a loss always in a lot of the work that he makes, I think. What do you mean by that? There's a kind of a sadness to it, or it feels like a coping. Yeah. Perhaps I'm... Uh, I don't know if I'm... No, I, I understand. ...reading too much into it. I understand that, definitely. I, I feel like... Um Something that Elliot Smith talked about um, was mm. the attempt to 
make art that communicated absence um, and the struggle that he had right, to do that. Right, 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 that, yeah, that That's what yeah, he really yeah. always was trying to communicate was something that's gone. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Good Morning Spider, the Sparkle Horse record, that was um, Mark Linkus committed suicide after that. I think maybe another record or two later. Oh. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was a. But that that record also is kind of plagued with that kind of. Yeah, that feeling of what did you just throw it as like an emptiness. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's like trying to make a picture of. Of the absence of a thing. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's very hard to do, and it's something that I've been kind of obsessed with since before I had heard it put that way. Like when I heard it, I was like, "Yes, like right. that's that's what I want to do as well." And it's so hard. I feel like lo-fi is uniquely positioned to do that in a lot of ways. Huh. I think the way that lo-fi art sounds the kind of the starkness of the recording, the kind of the documentary nature of it can make it feel very starkly real and cold and empty. And if you have like a sort of a real room reverb on a lo-fi recording, it can feel very naked and alone. Yeah. I'm sorry, that sort of very much derailed us from the going through the track but I think <laughs> no that's okay that was really worthwhile yeah it's it's uh it's tragic that that so many artists who have really like truly allowed themselves to become completely defenseless against pain and sort of the the truth and reality of being deeply connected with their emotions and the brutality of just an average life, you know, it, it extinguishes them so frequently. Um, yeah. 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 I, I, I'm forced to agree. <laughs> hey, how you doing? Me? Yeah, you okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, I don't know, I'm just, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm in an emotional space, I guess. Yeah, 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 that got deep, huh? Yeah. And, I mean, your, your artwork, did your music, frequently, especially in your, um, earlier years, was a description of like combat with that that thing yeah and it gives yeah it was it gives it a very um i don't know it just cuts through um a lot of like layers of like defensiveness or whatever that other people might have to to hear someone so genuinely and um like barrenly exposing um, 
you know, private and sensitive um, parts of themselves and putting it into art. It's very important for me to be vulnerable in my work. Vulnerability, like radical vulnerability, I think is key. Otherwise, it doesn't work for me. Yeah. Uh, I'm not interested in making work that makes me seem cool or sexy or anything like that. Like, that's not really ever my intention. Um, I hesitate just to sort of just fact check that as I go. Is that true? Oh, I don't know. Maybe I mean, it isn't. It, but <laughs> but I, it's definitely not a primary concern. Right? I don't think it has like, to be an absolutely pure intention to... Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. sure, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay to it's okay to be cute. Yeah. Um but I but yeah, no, definitely I, I yeah, primarily I I want to be honest and I want to use it as a document. Uh and I and I do. I want it to be cool. I want it to sound cool, you know. I want it to be cool because I think it's important that the music is listenable. <laughs> I think it's important that it's enjoyable. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important that the music does cool things um, and expands the the range of the listener, right? Yeah. I, That's important to me. I think that... I mean, the, there's that... The song... There's the, the track um, uh, Serpent Person later on in the record, which is like the, the really electronic-y kind of like down-tempo okay, yeah, yeah. one yeah. That where the lyrics are it doesn't matter if I'm a serpent person I'll still make some good tunes and try my best to be attractive yeah <laughs> like that's kind of the I, I love that kind of song it, right? <laughs> um. but that was when I wrote that lyric increasingly now when I'm writing lyrics I'm starting to think oh I can't say that can I and then I end up pushing through and putting it on the record. Because I think whenever I have a thought of, oh, I can't, can I? That's when I most should. Yes. I agree. Mm. And that's when my dad would listen to it and be like, no, it would... And get, like, embarrassed or so awkward or uncomfortable. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it's funny, because, like, with people of that mindset, like they do express their disapproval as like, why not be more commercial or whatever. But I think that some of that is stemming from like discomfort. Yeah. I think it's a secondhand embarrassment because they perceive vulnerability as weakness. I think a lot of straight men, particularly older straight men perceive vulnerability as weakness. Definitely. And obviously the, the archetype of that is Donald Trump who, yeah will never display any kind of vulnerability. But of course, as you and I know, and as I think is sort of fundamental to any queer outlook, um, which is, you know, something that I think a great deal about in terms of myself, um, is this idea that vulnerability actually has its own kind of strength, is actually strong. Yeah. To, to have the, the wherewithal to stand up and be willingly vulnerable and open yourself up to that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's... To not be that way, like maybe it's in some way bigoted of me from that my perspective, but like to not be vulnerable to me is like 
not strength. Like that's to me, that's cowardice. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's a different kind of strength. I think it's a different kind of strength that's used in a different way. There's, um, if you read like sci-fi or fantasy stories that are set in apocalyptic futures where you've got sort of roving gangs of of humans who are trying to survive yeah. often you'll get characters who are like sort of the leaders of those packs who are very strong and silent right. who have to be that way in order to establish a kind of a um, uh, a solid uh, like a solid foundation upon which other things can be built you can't I don't think you can build a society build a society from the ground up with just constant open vulnerability. That's true. Sometimes you have to get on, you know? Sometimes you've got to get on with it. You have to be strong for other people. I think a lot of men take on this kind of patriarchal position where they, they feel compelled to be strong for others, strong for their family. Like, they work and they do what they do and they, they don't complain and they are never sad and they're never anything. They just get on with it. And that's their strength. Yeah. And I think that's... That's not an illegitimate form of strength. I don't want to throw that out of the window. It's just nothing to do with, you know, I, I think these things are necessary at different times in one's life or at different times of the day, you know. Yeah. These kinds of strengths. Radical radical vulnerability. Yeah, I, yeah all at, the way, at different think. times of the day. I agree with that. Like, like <laughs> um, I think that you should be able to... Uh, maintain both of those things within yourself ideally but a lot of these people they a lot of these fucking people <laughs> I was just these people about, I was actually just thinking about that phrase when I paused I was like <sighs> like am I just like them <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry go on what were you going to say um well, well, they've they've neglected that other type of strength to the point that it's like atrophied and decomposed. Yes. Um, yeah, it can happen. It can happen. Yeah. Well, okay. So, so there's um, serpent person track. Oh yeah. So let's get back to the record. Okay, fine. So where were we? We were oh handwriting, right? So. Handwriting, I think, is like the most beautiful track on the record. Is that the uh, "Who Do I Fuck Sincerely"? No, no, no. That's that's to come. That's the next one. Okay, so okay. that's the germ. Handwriting is the one just before it. So it's the one with the huge, like the the guitar, and then the big, like instrumental at the end. Yeah. Um, with that starts with the. Like the solo ukulele, and it goes, um, not the breast white things you see in the window passing by, none of your thoughts are hiding in
And all the lines you leave behind will be reread So that comes directly from the Bart, uh, the Roland Barth um, essay, where he's uh, talking about seeing underwear in the window of a shop, um, and like, like pristine and like a like an objectified, commodified version of underwear, and how that's not actually the thing that you think of when you think of underwear, like. It's like when you're taking it off or wearing it or when you see someone else taking it off. Like, often those are the kind of associations that you have in your mind when you think about underwear. Um, I don't know why he picks underwear as an example. It's kind of like a like a, an unnecessarily cheeky thing for him to pick, but I'm really glad that he does. Um, so 
that was that's what that is about and then from there on it spins out into like the phenomenology of writing of like actual handwriting and of seeing someone's handwriting and the thoughts that they have and what it says about somebody like the way that they write or the actual act of writing itself it's all about kind of trying to look at as with the rest of the record it's all about that kind of looking at the act of self-expression yeah as a thing in and of itself I, I feel like that song is the most um like it would work as like a poem by itself hmm. I think those lyrics took me a long time and that they're all kind of linked into Cy Twombly the the after it kind of breaks into its big section it goes um even even gold and ringed with waves on grown-up paper i can see the real things you allow to linger um that's so beautiful so even even gold and ringed with waves comes from a site wombly i was doing a little tap tappy tap typing earlier you might have heard on the recording that was because <laughs> i was looking up these um the paintings, um, they're Cy Twombly paintings called Leaving Paphos Ringed with Waves. And so I wanted to get ringed with, I was looking at a lot of Twombly works and thinking, how can I get, how can I squeeze these in? But this, that, that kind of, yeah, Leaving Paphos Ringed with Waves. And I thought about, I don't know, it just feels sort of psychedelic to me, the idea of looking at something and having waves, waves radiating off of it, yeah. just like in your like sort of hallucinating waves, even gold and ringed with it on grown up paper. Like somebody writing something almost calligraphically or very like grown up or like trying to remove all traces of themselves, huh. you can still always t- I don't know I suppose you can still always tell a little bit about them through the way that they the way that they do it. And then there's the line even was it uh, all of your thoughts are hiding in there uh, even what is it hold on let me dig it up. One of my friends um, like I I sat him in my room and forced him to listen to the record not that he would need to be forced but um like i I, i'm not sure i condone this behavior oh did you (laughs) no no i'm kidding i'm kidding because i didn't want to like send it to anyone you know but i figured it would be okay it's fine no god play it to no totally play it to whoever you want okay um Uh, um, i was like worried for a second i was it was the word forced that I had contention with. Oh, well, I, I only mean forced as in, like, um, I had listened to it about, like, six times, and no, nobody else, I couldn't explain it to anyone. So I was like, you, for the next 40 minutes, are sitting here, and we're going to listen to this. Um, but uh, he, he described it as, very medieval <laughs> which i thought was interesting like oh, that's cool it does the, it's in that it's in that modal kind of yeah it's got a it's in a mode it's not just well some of your songs and like uh your lyrics have like this like poetry and tradition to them that feels like very very deeply rooted in like England and where you're from and oh I totally dig that that's such a nice thing to say I really appreciate that yeah cool I'm glad that I'm making very English music yeah it's, I, I'm glad about that yeah it, it, it resonates on like a certain level of art that that not all art does resonate on 
In an English way? <laughs> no, in like a, uh, I don't know, in like a Shakespearean way or like a, like, or like the Mark Rothko's paintings or uh, um, like Van Gogh's paintings. They have like an essence that's... <laughs> Um, it's high praise. Well, they have an essence that is singular, um, but that also, like, has this deeply rooted connection to, like, the most primal forms of art, just like coming through a person. Oh, like a, like a universality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I try, I always try to. I think if I ever try to start to get too specific, I'm always very conscious of like getting too specific with what I'm writing about, and I'll always throw something in that like. Come brings it crashing back down to reality. No, no, no. That brings it crashing back down to reality. That makes it like if it gets too heady and too kind of conceptual, I'll always like bring it. Down. And actually, that's just what I was getting to on the lyric okay. that it goes into. What is it? It's. I'm. I'm just going to bring up the track and. And this also comes like pretty much wholesale from the Bart essay, which is really nice. Trying hard, trying not to overthink what needs preserving every day to make a line that isn't stupid. <laughs> I think he talks in the, in the essay about how a lot of lines, that, like a lot of marks made, seem stupid somehow. Yeah. <laughs> like he uses the word stupid, and that makes me so happy. That's... Because I totally make a bunch of stupid lines all the time. And it's like trying every day to make a thing that isn't stupid. It's like things that occur naturally are very beautiful and elegant and natural. There is a poem. There is a fucking poem. An Australian poet. And he has this poem called The Meaning of Existence, which is about this. I, I think of, I think of it as being about this kind of like making things that aren't stupid, trying to make something that isn't stupid. Oh. Um, it goes like this. Everything except language knows the meaning of existence. Trees, planets, rivers, time know nothing else. They express it moment by moment as the universe. Even this fool of a body lives it in part and would have full dignity within it but for the ignorant freedom of my talking mind. Wow. <laughs> How killer is that? That's very zen. It's very zen. We would have... If we didn't know how to be language, if we didn't know how to language, we would have a fundamental essence of existence about us. But because we've taught ourselves how to speak, we've lost that fundamental essence of existence. We've become foolish, we've become stupid, and we don't just naturally express existence anymore. We think, we overcognate, we uh, overanalyze, and we make conscious decisions that change the path of the natural way of things. Yeah. We've taken ourselves out of the loop. We no longer express the truth naturally. That reminds... We've become big lies. That reminds me of that... Remember I sent you that Akron family record? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. God, that's a great record. There's uh, a line that's like, I want to see the thing in itself. I don't want to think no more. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Reminds me of that. So good. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Um, so, yeah. so the is there like a assertion philosophically that the record puts forward? Um, hmm. I know it's like a really oh, that's broad such a good question. question. That's such a good question because yes and no. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to be the kind of person who goes around a certain shit, <laughs> but I think inevitably the record does do that. Yeah. Well, you know, an assertion doesn't have to be a proclamation of like uh, uh, enlightenment. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, I just mean like your perspective is there. Like, um... yeah, I think it's that poem. It's what that poem says. I think the assertion is that um, language makes fools of us, but it's also the thing that gives us our humanity and therefore humans are fundamentally idiots (laughs) which is nice I think it's kind of to sort of go well yeah through making ourselves this kind of over complex thing we're incredible and brilliant but we've lost kind of a fundamental truthiness a fundamental universal kind of truth of existence by doing that we've made ourselves weirdly um uh, disconnected alien yeah disconnected exactly 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 by symbolizing things by seeing the world through a net of symbols we have disconnected ourselves from the nature of reality yeah and were we to see things in their true state it would totally fucking fry our little brains that's so true have you have you read alan watts's uh drawing book no, I haven't. No, I'll I'll link you to like a PDF. It's called the ah, it's called so the much. Zen of Seeing, and it's it's <sighs> exactly what you're talking about. It's like maybe great, twenty great, pages great. with like a paragraph on each page and like a drawing. It's so great, and it helped me to draw yes. much uh, much better, like understand it much better. So good. Yeah, please send me that. That's amazing. But yeah, that's the that's that's what consumes me. That's that's what I'm obsessed with that. That's sort of That's what all of my work explores. I feel like the the Nine Tales podcast explored that idea um yeah. and referenced it a lot. Um sort of the idea of interconnectedness and being present and uh conscious um yeah yeah a lot of it was about that i mean alex and anna yes are also both very interested in those things it's alex alex rose ways. and is it alex anna rose, milgram anna anna benlock okay. yeah so anna, anna milgram is another yeah. name yeah yeah oh, that, that they use oh that reminds me of something uh a a a s um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you talk to me about that a little bit? I talked to Anna um, a little bit about it, and um, so it was. Do, do you, would you do you want to like give kind of a yeah sure? So, Ass is an art group that Anna is in. That Anna started with another person called Stuart. Yeah, about twenty years ago. Wow, and. Maybe not 20, maybe like 15. And that's been an ongoing concern. So they've done 
a lot of ritual-based work. And around 2014, 2015, 2016, I was working with them on things, so doing some projects, being involved in projects, um, like drone performances, um, making films, doing rituals, just going out into the woods and doing rituals, burying things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, they did a project where they made a, a recording. We Well, we made a recording... And then it was turned into a record that was a copy of one. There was only one record made of the recording. And then it was thrown into a river. <laughs> That's so beautiful. <laughs> you know. I love that kind good of stuff. Good stuff like that. I'm, I'm very into yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, it was really good. So they're, they're great. I love them very much. And that, yeah, I'm very glad that I got to work with them on stuff. But they're still going. They're still doing a lot of a lot of cool projects, mainly in galleries. So it's like a, it's like an art practice. So they're an art group. Yeah. It, um, it, um, um, I guess Stuart. Uh, it like yeah. we follow each other on Instagram. And cool. Um, yeah, Stuart's cool. He has like all these sigils and stuff, and I talked to him about um, sigils for a while, um, hmm. a little while back, but. Um, I'm I'm really into that idea of like art combined with ritualism, um, and I guess what's traditionally called like magic, which is mm. you know I don't I don't really have any uh, supernatural beliefs at all, but I sure. do think even just as a psychological mechanism that yes, these practices yeah, yeah, are. Incredibly effective, they have been for me. Yeah. Um, but I've only been doing, like, kind of creating sigils and artwork that is kind of imbued with the same purpose um, for a couple of years. Um, mm, nice. Yeah. Cool. Do, how does that no, incorporate really into your into. work? It doesn't so much. I'm. I'm not. I. 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 have uh, <laughs> gained the love of drone. Yeah. Through hanging out with Anna. Um, I've been kind of like, yeah, given that, that mystical, that appreciation for the mysticism of drone and the power of drone. And I've started to incorporate that a lot more in my music over the past, you know, however many years. Um, I think I've grown more interested in space in music um, and mysticism. At the beginning of handwriting is that, like minute and a half of of drone um yeah i think i'm i think it's it's not i mean my music is n in no way interested in magic or um astrology which is ironic because my name is gemini i yeah and i mean the <laughs> this this record has a lot of tarot card names it does the devil the hierophant yeah. I mean, that's it. Well, yeah. There's, there's two. <laughs> um, unless they're going to make a new card called the Germ. Uh, the Invisible Hullabaloo. It does... It, But yeah, there is there is a kind of... I'm, obviously, like, I like the aesthetics of it. Mm -hmm. And I am interested in astrology and stuff. I do... I will have... If someone asks me what my sign is, I will say, like... Oh, yeah, I don't get on with Scorpios or whatever. I I'm a Scorpio. I don't know how much I... Are you? Yeah. Oh, then I guess I do. <laughs> uh. Um, yeah, I'm not really. I don't. 
I find most astrology people kind of unbearable. Um, <laughs> there was this girl who was, yeah. I was like talking to her, like in a capacity of like, maybe we'll like go out or something. And, um, she was like, what's your star sign? And like I told her and like what my, you know, that I'm a Scorpio and stuff. And she's like, oh, what's, what was the moon cycle at the time you were born? Oh, uh uh-huh, yeah, all the different, the other layers and stuff, yeah. And, like, it ended up, I spent, like, a solid, like, 20 minutes just, like, trying to Google all this information. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I just eventually just stopped talking to her because it was, it was such a high demand of, like, weird esoteric knowledge that that could not (laughs) be, like, less relevant to, she didn't ask really anything about my personality or interests. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, See, as a field of study, it has that very alluring combination of um, mysticism and uh, high technicality. Yeah. Like, you can go in on it as much as you want. There are so many rules that you can follow, and you can completely nerd out about it. And then it also has this kind of magical aspect to it so people get obsessed yeah which is fine it's nice for people to have something to cling on to but i like i like it as a, a I, I you know i think it's interesting um and i i like to use it as a kind of a guide sometimes but i would never it crosses the line when people start to make real life decisions based on astrology yeah that makes me concerned um i i do think though like the sort of ritualism aside from all like astrology or or whatever specific beliefs one has i think that ritualism and art are for me they're like entwined inextricably Uh yeah um maybe like partly because like i grew up catholic so i would go Mm. and like see um you know my reality for for me from the age of like being a a small child until I was about 12 and stopped believing in it was that, you know, that God was like present on this altar. And, um, I mean, it was really cool. Like there was smoke and, and we would would chant these things and we didn't know what they meant. And like, it was like Latin phrases and stuff. And, um, yeah like whenever I like I sort of abandoned all of that and then I got I got into art to kind of replace the void that you know that was left oh interesting interesting right and then like a few years ago I kind of rediscovered the power that ritual has within my own psychology Um, so things like making sigils um, or just like like you said, like making something and destroying it. Uh, mm. I'm a big believer in the power of sigils. I think sigils are really cool. Um, what was it like uh, doing like VidCon and like all of this like very like high was, profile uh, stuff? Yeah, so I mean, I was young and I hadn't really, I mean, you know, I I loved being a performer. I loved being the center of attention. 
Uh, and I always was kind of destined to be a performer. I always wanted to perform. I was always very natural on a stage. Like I was always, I've always been incredibly natural in front of an audience. Um, and things like that just really fucking pandered to my, like what I liked. Um, it was really fun. It was really fun. And I didn't know how to use, I mean, a lot of the things that I, I think now about how I interact with people, how I interact with audiences, what I owe to an audience, if I have one, and what I, how I need to present myself in the kind of best, crucially, 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 specifically, the boundaries that I have between me and people in my audience. Because I think I was very close with my audience back then. And they felt like they knew me and had me and could connect with me in all these ways. And that's a very good way to build an audience quickly, a very tight-knit, kind of very close audience of people who really feel like they connect with you. Yeah. But that's, that's a cult, right? You're building a cult that way. And you are building something that is very easy to transgress. And, um, like, I've had people send me emails being like, hey, you know, we met at VidCon and... Like, I felt like there was, I don't know, people who have kind of, like, weird kind of hazy memories of um, of me, like, kind of, like, really connecting with them as though we were, like, friends and then just, like, disappearing and never talking to them again. Hmm. And it can hurt people's feelings or... Um, but, yeah, I can get very engaged with, with people... Um, and at VidCon, I did that a lot. I spent a lot of time talking to a lot of people... A lot of fans. That's such a um, like such a strange place to be in. That's like not really of your own making. I mean, it kind it, it is sort mm-hmm. of, but like if I let's say for some reason like my artwork becomes very popular and I'm in it at the same position, all that I've done is what I want to do without any fans at all like making what I, expressing myself and making my art and then yeah without you really asking for it you have um you know just like random people who who adore you like let me okay let me put this another way so i i, I feel like i'm gonna like answer the question again in a way that you might want to just cut to because i feel like i didn't really say anything okay. in the last time but like being vidcon and things like that those are environments that are created around attention and around like kind of visibility like the people who are there are not necessarily there because they've done anything amazing they're just there because they have a lot of eyeballs on them and that's what has brought them there and that's what brought me there so there were those kind of fans people who just watched the content who were interested in me as somebody who had a lot of fans, right? Very kind of self-perpetuating thing. Um, it wasn't a, really like an artistic space, or like a creative space necessarily, but it was just like the, the commodified. Yeah. Like, here are the people who you love in the real world, in real life, yeah. which is not great. I didn't like it really much, very artificial. But I loved the attention, right? Yeah. And I loved being on a stage getting to do things. And along with my friend Tom McLean <laughs> and Live Love Live. I forgot about Tom McLean. Fresned. Tom McLean. 
Presnet, <laughs> amazing human being. Wow, yeah,、uh, he's funny. And、uh, yeah, really funny, really great, really great guy. And、uh, yeah, Mitchell Davis, Live, Love, and、mm-hmm. Live, and Sam Proof. The four of us did this thing called the Secret Panel every year at VidCon, which was not on the. We had a room booked through the official VidCon process、uh, as being a people people who were part of the con- convention. Um, we we booked a convention room with the organisers, but we got them to leave it off the schedules, the itineraries. Oh, that's great! So nobody would know about it unless they knew about it, unless they'd been told about it. And the only way that we promoted it was by making these cryptic little、uh, pamphlets <laughs> that would have the information about the room and the time buried deep within them. It would be like. <laughs> Any random person be like, "What the fuck is this?" Let me make them look like、um, like schizophrenic ramblings or like <laughs> like kind of like time cube type things. That's so good. So they'd be, and then we'd go around and people would see us and go, "Oh my god, you!" And we'd give them this thing, and then we'd do that throughout throughout the first three days of the convention. And then on the fourth day, we'd have that room, and people would be cute, and people would have told each other about it, and it'd be like a little secret thing. Then we just fucked about for two hours, you know. And then we all just had a good time, played some songs, just did nothing really, but just had this experience. That's wonderful. Yeah, that was nice. So it was good to good to subvert <laughs> it in that way, and good to actually do something kind of weird and interesting with、yeah. it, where normally it's just the same fucking like taking selfies and. It's it's、yeah. just like I don't want to like take all of your time because we've been talking for quite a while.、Um, oh yeah, we should probably. Yeah, we can yeah, wrap okay. it up. Soon,、um, cool. But、uh, I mean, you have this incredibly rare perspective of being like an early successful YouTuber,、um, which, like, I mean, now, like, I mean, YouTube is so huge; it's absurd. Like, yeah, and different, so different to what it was. Yeah, I mean. It, better now, I think. I think it's become something better. Than what it what it used to be. I'm sorry. I know I'm going a little bit off. I'm interrupting. Oh no no no.、Um, But I think it it does it now does what it set out to do. We were in a weird little aberration at the start of the process, and I was definitely an aberration. I wasn't I wasn't making what YouTube content should be. I was making weird little arty things. I prefer that. Me too. Me too. But it was it was.、Um, You know the stuff that people make now, the kind of the big content. People have really figured out how to maximize the the platform and and make the machine run really smoothly. Yeah. Yeah, it was like a completely different animal. Yeah. But、uh, what what about sort of the、um, like you were talking about? Like it was like purely commodified. You said like VidCon.、Um, So like yeah, what, what the, was it the, that kind of? I mean, they're selling tickets, right? It's like a zoo. You 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 buy a ticket, you go into the enclosure, and you can see all your favorite YouTubers in the flesh. That's. Was it like cringy to see some of them? Like like looking、I、back on it, I was cringy. I was cringy as fuck. I was <laughs> such a mess. Like I was doing all kinds of cringy shit. Yeah, yeah, totally.、Oh, yeah, because like I see it now, and it's it's it. A lot of it is kind of revolting. Oh yeah, absolutely. It was revolting at the time, but I didn't necessarily realize that. Yeah, no. To be a YouTuber is a deeply humiliating, embarrassing thing. I think, <laughs> and I, I'm embarrassed by 
yeah, by by the by that part of my life to a certain extent. Hmm. Um, yeah, because it is it was I was doing even though I was making kind of like arty content, I was still also doing, you know, rate, comment, subscribe, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like you know, getting engagement because I was encouraged to by YouTube, by Google, who we would have meetings with, who would say like you know. Here's how you can get your engagement up. Uh, make end cards and you know tell people to subscribe and all that kind of thing. And then, oh, okay, um, you know, because that was my life. That was I'd been doing it since I was seventeen, and it was like my job, and I took it seriously. Yeah. Um, but but it was cringy, and it was never quite right for me. It never sat right for me particularly. Some people just take to it very naturally. Um, yeah. But it never, I never quite got comfortable with promoting myself in that way. And being around all those people, I mean, we always felt, me and Tom and Sam and Mitchell, it's why we did the secret panel is because we felt uncomfortable about, you know, about, about the nature of the thing. Yeah, it was, it was a highly commercialized environment and we didn't fit. We were definitely the odd, the odd ducks. And we kind of got grandfathered into it because we were some of the first people around and we knew the people organising it. So we would get in off the, on the back of that, on the strength of that. We would always have our place there, even as it grew to a thing that really wasn't the right platform for us. Yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense. Well, I think that, like, your... I mean, the progression of your art since then has become so, like... It's, it's, it's gotten so much depth to it um sort of being away from from that like demand for accessibility maybe Uh, well i got to grow i got to i got to grow up like literally i was sort of trapped in being 18 for five years um i didn't i didn't grow at all in that time i don't think as a person that makes Um, sense yeah and now, you know, having been, having gone through the process of, like, being, uh, like, cancelled <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and like, having to move on, like, very radically move on from that, that part of my life, which was something that I was wanting to do, but I don't think I necessarily ever would have done. Yeah. Um, had I not been, had I not been, like, told to leave. Is that um, something that, like, you'd like to, like talk about the experience of that like if not i'm happy that's to completely i'm happy okay. to talk about it yeah 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 so i mean what yeah what what was all of that like i mean it must have been horrible it was terrifying but um very necessary at the time i thought it was i think at the time i was angry about it but also, like, because it, it happened in a kind of a weird roundabout way. Um, the people who were, like, spearheading it didn't know me and had had no experience with me. Right. And had never really met me. Um, but they had kind of got this uh, idea into their heads and they were friends with people who I'd hurt and, and, uh, and particularly, like, yeah, somebody who I'd been in a relationship with and, and, and hurt very badly. Uh, just through being like a nightmare like I was just a total nightmare like I was just a, a total mess in that relationship and like was very cruel and unfair in a lot of ways um, and that that became and like that was the time when I was like 
my most uh, miserable, and that was like the time when I, that I drew a lot from for organs. Yeah. And I think after making that record and that coming out and everyone being like, oh, this is great, um, the people in my life at that time who I'd been a nightmare at and who had like been the, the receiving end of that nightmarishness, it's like, saw me like, you know, romanticizing, not romanticizing it, but, you know, making this kind of beautiful, like intentionally beautiful music. Like transmuting about it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and got kind of embittered about it and was like, no, that's not what it was like. Fuck you. Um, which is a totally legitimate position to take. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting. It, I smelled it coming. Like, there was like a couple of months leading up to it where I was like, oh shit, something is about to go down in a big way. Uh, and then it did. And I was totally just like, it just totally ripped my life apart. And it took me a long time to figure out. Cause you don't stop, like when that happens to you, you don't stop living. Like you're still in the position, you're still in the body and the person and the, the thing that you were. That you that got you torn down, right? Yeah. Like you, that doesn't it doesn't immediately disappear. You don't suddenly have it lifted like a veil from you. You still are the problematic person, right? So for like a year after that, plus a year plus, like oh my god, I mean, I mean, like uh, now I'm a total pure perfect angel. No, of course not. Like it's it's never better. It's never fixed. Um, you can only do your best, right? Right. And so, like, um, after it happened, it was like there was like a year or so before I even could begin the process of improving myself. Where it was just like, but I knew, I knew straight away immediately that it was like the right thing to do because I was on their side. Like, I was like, like pretty much immediate. Like uh, the first couple of days, I was like, oh fuck, this is a nightmare. What the fuck's going on? I've right. got a you know panic, panic, panic. But then pretty quickly I was like, no, that's, yeah, this is the right thing. And I was on their side. And so I went about dismantling my, like I deleted my social media and um, put my, you know, put, put it all on a shelf and started again from scratch basically and went out and got a job. Yeah, and and sort of like the personal transformation that that experience necessitated in you I mean it's been such a privilege and like honor to like be one of the people who's who's been able to see all of it happen and and see your art that's the product of it and um, it's just such a such a rare incarnation to to have this this opportunity as an artist to um, to like transform and redeem oneself and make yourself into something more in line with what you'd like to be. Um, well, thank you. That's very sweet of you to say. I I don't want it. to. You know, I I don't want to romanticize it at all, really, because it's it's a. It's me, the, the core of it is me being shitty, right? Like, that's the core of it. And it's like, I've basically done what any reasonable human being would be expected to do 
without having to be cajoled into it. <laughs> like, I, this, this is a, it's been a, a gargantuan journey, but it's all stuff that I think most people are expected to do as, like, as per. Like, the, well, it's sure. kind of like, yeah. it's not. Yeah, but, but like, not everyone can take the velocity with which you were forced to do it. Um, yeah, it was pretty brutal. Like, yeah, totally. It was a very public um, and, situation, and that was very tough. Yeah. That was, a, that was definitely a tough aspect of it. Yeah, yeah, fair. And, like, um, the, the is of being is, like, um, I think that it draws a lot of power from that whole, uh, like, raging battle that you had to contend with like within yourself sure yeah well like I said I, I, I try to be as vulnerable as possible in my, my work yeah and I don't you know if I if I see someone be uh, like go through the thing that I went through I tend to side with the people doing the calling out right like yeah. if I see an artist get accused of like sexually abusing somebody I won't listen to their music anymore <laughs> like it ruins it for me mm. I can't listen to the work of people who have been you know I'm on the side of the the victims always naturally not like as a conscious choice it's just like it, I find it disgusting that they that the person creating this work has done that like it ruins it for me and <laughs> that's weird because I'm kind of expecting people to to come at my work but I think the the problem with it is in most cases it a trust is lost because they don't it's like they try to cover it like I that's not me man I didn't do that like that's not that's not who I am or like yeah there's two sides to this or whatever or like they just never talk about it they try to cover it up right but all of my work now is directly informed by that experience
appealing to you, that's fine. And if that's something that put, puts you off the work that I make, that's also fine. And I think it makes my work far less sellable and far less, you know, it's always going to hang over the work that I make. And that's completely fine to, to me. Yeah. I, I, I've had to come to terms with it. But, you know, it's fine to me now because that's what I get. That's what you get for this. <laughs> that's what the outcome is. That's fine. Yeah. I don't want to cover it up. I don't want to make it out to be anything other than what it was. Um, you know, it's a fundamental part of what I write about because I do think it's important to be able to illustrate the path out of that for other yeah. people and have it operate as a kind of a, you know, I think it's good to hear about these things, to talk to people who aren't going around hurting the people around them, but who, but only through luck, <laughs> right? <laughs> I think a lot of people never hurt other people just because they're fortunate enough to never be in the circumstances that make them hurt other people you know a lot of people avoid it through sheer luck but it could happen to them and it's important to to know you know how to think about these things and think about them I do and and will continue to and continue to put it into the work that I make
has such a strong identity Capturing an image of time and place On a day that's otherwise gray and lonely Here and well, I've discovered magic now I can tell you the truth, I can tell you the truth However it appears to me will be the same to you Fundamentally true forever Thank you for participating.